Episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. Feminist. I'm your host, Lindsay Park, coming in for another episode in the year of polygamy. Now, if you are just joining us, I would recommend starting all the way back at episode one with Fanny Alger, as this series is meant to go in a sort of chronological order. This, the attempt of this series is to help women understand the practice of plural marriage as it happened in history and up until contemporary records today, if it is even possible to understand such a complicated system that involves a lot of people's lives, a lot of people's faiths, and a lot of people's actual families. So we're going to try to do that as polygamy is a painful thing to many LDS women and probably some LDS men, and hopefully we can help people disentangle what we do know about the practice and let people make decisions for themselves. So, we are still in Nauvoo. We are almost out of Nauvoo, and I'm so excited to move out of Nauvoo. We have a lot of fun things coming up. But today we are still talking about one of Joseph Smith's wives. Her name is Hannah Ells, and you probably haven't heard much about her. She is a name that does not make the history records. We know very, very little about her. Uh, she, she would die young, and historical records are very scarce. I do credit the work of Todd Compton and Andrew Jensen for digging up what very little we do know about her. Hannah was born in 1813 in Newcastle, Northumberland, England, to parents Thomas and Hannah Ells. She later immigrated to America and lived several years in Philadelphia, although very little is known about her time there. We do know that she lived with her brother, Josiah Ells, who was a prominent doctor, and that he converted to Mormonism. We know that by 1841, Hannah had relocated to Nauvoo. We don't know much about her, but we do know that she was very tall in stature, considered very dignified, and she was a very good seamstress. These were all good things that made a woman in the mid-1800s a good prospect for marriage. In Nauvoo, Hannah opened up a dressmaking business. She advertised her business in the Nauvoo newspaper, The Times and Seasons. Here is what her ad said, quote, Millinery and dressmaking, Miss H.S.L.'s, begs leave to respectfully inform the ladies of Nauvoo and its vicinity that she intends carrying on the above business in all its varied branches, and further states that she has several years' experience in one of the most fashionable French establishments in Philadelphia. Nauvoo, September 30th, 1841, end quote. According to LDS Church historian Andrew Jensen, Hannah married Joseph Smith sometime before the summer of 1843. During her time in Nauvoo, Hannah lived in the home of John Benbow, and perhaps with her brother Josiah for a time. John Benbow writes, quote, President Smith frequently visited his wife Hannah at my house, end quote. So we do know that Joseph frequently visited Hannah. We don't know what that means. We don't know what frequent means. We do know that Joseph was very busy, especially, you know, between 1841 and 1843. It was only a little over a year of being married to Joseph Smith that he was martyred and she became a widow. We know that Hannah kept company with the elite of Nauvoo society and was heartbroken when her brother Josiah was disfellowshipped by the Nauvoo High Council. He supported William Marks and later joined up with the RLDS church. 
and again, you can read more about this in the Secession Crisis podcast episode that we did last year. I would highly recommend it. Hannah was called as a witness at William Marks' trial and later wrote to Wilford Woodruff about the event. She said, quote, My brother did not occupy your house as he became a follower of S. Rigdon, Sidney Rigdon, and Samuel Bennett with their family have gone to Pittsburgh. You may think I feel pretty much like one left alone, but I would not be in their case for all. I have seen, but am a thousand times glad that I have lived to see this day. Although it was a source of sorrow, some for a season, I now rejoice that I was counted worthy to be called to endure the trial of my faith, which will work out for me a more exceeding weight of glory, end quote. Hannah was close friends with Wilford Woodruff, his wife, and his family. In August of 1844, as Wilford Woodruff and Phoebe Woodruff were leaving Nauvoo on a mission, they all visited the unfinished Nauvoo temple to pray in the evening. Wilford Woodruff would write, quote, As we approached it, we lifted our eyes and beheld the greatness, grandeur, and glory. We climbed to the top, and there, with lifted up hands towards heaven, I called upon God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph by prayer and supplication, end quote. Wilford Woodruff prayed for a successful mission. He also prayed that God would avenge the blood of Hannah's husband, Joseph, the seer. Wilford noted that they all left the temple with joy and peace. Now, something you should know about this, Wilford Woodruff prays to avenge Joseph's blood. This becomes an actual part of Mormon of Mormon ritual. It becomes the oath of vengeance. Shortly after Joseph dies, it becomes, I mean, you know, the early LDS church, especially later on under Brigham and well, and Joseph, were really into rituals that had a lot of oaths being kept. And uh, oaths under the priesthood were a huge, huge thing. And the oath of vengeance came somewhere around 1845 and up into the early 1930s. And it became a part of the early endowment ritual in which participants vowed to pray that God would avenge the blood of Joseph Smith and Hiram and Hiram Smith, who were assassinated by the mob in 1844. We do know that it was um, incorporated into the Nauvoo Endowment under the direction of Brigham Young by 1845 in the Nauvoo Temple. Here is what the oath said. If you were part of the secret elite group of society, this is the oath that you would take when you did an endowment session. Quote, you and each of you do covenant and promise that you will pray and never cease to pray to Almighty God to avenge the blood of the prophets upon this nation and that you will teach the same to your children and to your children's children unto the third and fourth generation. End quote. Now, this is something that people took very, very seriously. And it became, like you, like you saw Wilford Woodruff talk about, it became a part of very important prayer rituals as well. They would... Uh, you know, pray to avenge the death of Joseph Smith. This would, of course, play into violence later on, as we talked about in our last episode about Mountain Meadows Massacre. You see that the vengeance and death of Joseph Smith is very much upon these people. It is said that this was uh, part of the Mormon prayer ceremony and plays into the, you know, doctrine of blood atonement, which is was the idea that Brigham Young taught that... Uh, Joseph Smith's blood and the blood of martyrs of all faith would be atoned in their own due time, but some things were not even covered by Christ's atonement, and so some people had to die for their sins. And in some cases, you would be doing a service to your friends and family members if they had committed a sin that could not be covered, and you would kill them in what was called blood atonement. It is said that John D. Lee from the Mormon Meadows Massacre believed that he was uh, 
being killed with blood atonement, that his death was atoning for the sins. Now, it's a really controversial practice, but there is there is evidence that it was a part of Mormon theology for a while. This oath would stay around way until like the, you know, the early 1900s with the Reed Smoot hearings. Uh, Heber J. Grant appointed a committee charged with revising the endowment ceremony, which was done under the direction of Apostle George F. Richards from 1921 to 1929. And they would eliminate both the oath of vengeance and the revision was formally Im- implemented into the 1930. Some of the more salacious parts of this is Anna Eliza Young, who is Brigham Young's wife, will later succumb you know, write in her book that she had witnessed and experienced taking the oath of vengeance. Um, So several other pioneers, early pioneers, said that they took this as well. And during the Reed Smoot hearings in 1904, there's some sworn testimony of several witnesses describing the oath of vengeance. So anyway, that was kind of a side note, but an interesting one about this sort of vengeance idea. Now, Wilford Woodruff at the time is not taking the oath necessarily, but uh, you can see that this is on their minds. This is a major, this is something that, th- that all these saints are thinking about. So back to Hannah. Hannah would die in Nauvoo sometime in 1845 for unknown reasons. She was young and associated with the Nauvoo elite at the time, and there are very few details of her death. But Eliza R. Snow was with Hannah at the time. Eliza said, quote, I loved her very much, was present at her death, end quote. Historian Jensen wrote, quote, She was a lady of culture and refinement, somewhat tall in stature. Those who are acquainted with her speak of her as a good and noble woman, end quote. So anyway, that is a little short vignette about Hannah Ells, one of Joseph Smith's wives that we don't know a lot about, but we know that she was around for a lot of the important part of the early church, a very exciting time to be a church member. So... Anyway, if you're enjoying the series, go ahead and leave a comment in the comment section at PlymouthMorningCastlesPodcast.org, and thank you for listening. 